we'll be doing a series of studies for the next three weeks on uh, debunking the myths of Christmas. Debunking the myths of Christmas. The meaning of the word myth is that a myth is a traditional story. It's a widely held but false belief or idea. And the first myth that we are going to look at this evening is, was Jesus born on December 25th? Now, what do you think? Was Jesus born on December 25th? The truth is, no one knows the date on which Jesus was born. And there is no record of any date being set apart to mark his birth during the first 300 years of the history of the church. You know, 300 years, the church never really celebrated Christmas. Okay? Now, that should teach us some you know, thoughts. Okay? Was the birth date of Jesus not important to the early church? Why did they not celebrate it? You know? And what should be the actual purpose of uh, celebration of the birth of Jesus? So let's look at, first of all, the meaning of the word Christmas. The meaning of the word Christmas. There are some words that we just use. We don't really know the meaning. But the word for Christmas in Old English is Christes Messe. Basically, it means the Mass of Christ the Mass of Christ. Some churches use uh, the word Mass for their services, okay? The Mass of Christ, okay? Now, actually speaking, this you know, word Mass comes from the Latin word Missa, which means to be sent, okay? And this is the benediction type of a word that in these churches, it will be mentioned right at the end, to be sent forth, okay? So the mass, which means uh, you know, you know, a service, you know, a liturgical service, you know, and also a sacrificial service. You know, that's the connotation of the word mass. You know. So technically, the word mass is not really speaking about the birth of Jesus. The mass in that sense is actually speaking about the death of Jesus, because the services, when they celebrate the communion, they speak about it as the, the mass, the celebration of Christ's death on the cross. Now, you may ask this question then, you know, uh, now, if this is how the word originated, did the early church celebrate it, and how did this you know, celebration come into being within the Christian world? Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. In fact, Origen, one of the church fathers, says that in the scriptures, sinners alone and not saints celebrate their birthday. Okay. Now, that's true because the scripture has only three references to birthday celebrations. The first one we find in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 20, where it refers to Pharaoh's birthday. We find in this passage of scripture that the Pharaoh's uh, baker dies as a consequence of the events of Pharaoh's birthday. The other two verses, which are in a similar, is in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 6, and Mark chapter 6 and verse 21. This refers to Herod's birthday. And the related passages, both these passages, record the dancing of the daughter of Herodias and the subsequent death of 
John the Baptist. So these are the only two birthday celebrations that are recorded in scripture and both of them involve death, not really a celebration. So how did Christmas come to be celebrated on December 25th? Okay, the, uh, This observance probably does not date earlier than AD 200 and did not become widespread until the 4th century. Okay because there's no mention of the celebration of Christ's birth in the Gospels or in the book of Acts. Neither the date is given, nor even the time is given. As I mentioned to you, Origen of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, he goes on so far to mock Roman celebrations of birth anniversaries, dismissing them as pagan practices, which would suggest a strong indication that Jesus' birth was not celebrated with similar festivities at that place and time. And as far as we can tell, Christmas was not celebrated at all at that time. Now, what was celebrated? The Bible does give us a lot of details about Jesus' last days, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. All these dates and events are very clearly mentioned, okay? According to John, for example, John's gospel, it speaks about how Jesus is crucified just as the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. And this would have occurred on the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. So we can calculate you know, the date of Christ's death, but you know, there's nothing about the date of Christ's birth. You know? And uh, the church definitely celebrated Christ's resurrection. How do they celebrate it? Every Sunday morning. Every Sunday, the first day of the week, the church met together. Earlier, it was the Sabbath, which was on the Saturday. But after Christ rose again from the dead, the early church then came together on the first day of the week because this was a celebration of Christ's resurrection. And that was so important to them. Okay? And in fact, they used to greet one another by saying, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now you may say, then if this was the case, how did this date come into being? How come all, all these years we are celebrating it on this particular day? A couple of you know, reasons or options or you know, thoughts by which this date came into being. You remember you know, Constantine, you know, the Roman emperor, when he decided that by the sign of the cross, you know, he saw a dream which says, by the sign of the cross he shall conquer. So when he conquered the earth and the known area, he said, oh, now from tomorrow onwards, all my subjects are going to become Christians. So even though they were from pagan backgrounds, they were all considered to be Christians. And that's how they built huge cathedrals and churches, because now people needed a place of worship. Before that, they were meeting in homes, or sometimes because of the persecution, they were meeting in catacombs. You know? But after this period, then they said, okay, you know, we have built the churches. Now, the earlier they were celebrating these pagan festivals, so now, now they also need to, as Christians, they need to have some festivals. So they decided to pick up some of the pagan festivals and give it a Christian connotation. So this is one option whereby people say that December 12, 25th was selected you know, in place of a, a midwinter festival called as Saturnalia. Okay? That is one option. 
the other option that Tertullian of Carthage reports that you know, they did the calculation on the basis of Jesus' death on the 14th of Nisan, okay, the Hebrew calendar, okay. So they had a belief you know, at that time that the prophets and martyrs of the church were conceived on the day they died. So if they calculated, okay, this was the day that you know, Jesus died, okay, so that is the time then Jesus was also conceived. So March 25th, which is the 14th day of uh, Nisan, they considered that as the conception time of Jesus. And then nine months down the line, they said, hey, that will be December 25th. So December 25th should be the birthday of Jesus. Think for a moment. When you and I celebrate our birthdays, and we say on this particular day is my birthday, is that really your birthday? Is that the day you were born? You were born into this world. But life starts at conception, isn't it? So many months earlier. That's just for you, a thought for you to think over. Okay. So when you're looking at all these dates, a question then would arise. Does this mean that we are wasting our time celebrating Christmas in December? Not at all. Remember, the main point of Christmas is not chronology, but theology. It's not chronology, but theology. That does not mean dates are not important. That does not mean historicity is not important because the Bible does speak about the historicity of the birth of Jesus. So let's look at what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus from the historical perspective. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, this is what it reads. It says, Now it happened in those days, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to enroll themselves, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to enroll himself with Mary who was pledged to be married to him being pregnant. It happened while they were there that the day had come when she should give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him with pieces of cloth, and placed him in a feeding trough because there was no guest room available for them. Look at this incident that Luke records for us of the birth of Jesus. There are so many historical factors over there mentioned. It speaks about Caesar Augustus. It speaks about the census that was taken. It speaks about Joseph you know, from this uh, uh, town of Bethlehem. Even though he was, you know, he was from Galilee, he moved to Bethlehem for the census because they had to go to their own place for enrollment. The census, all these details, if you notice, are historical. We know from other historical sources that the Roman governor of Syria, Quirinius, called for a census of Judea. So apart from scripture, you can look at Roman history and say, hey, was there a Roman governor by the name of uh, Quirinius? You say, yes. Okay, was there a census taken? Yes. Okay. So then on the basis of this, we will say, yes, Jesus' birth definitely was historical. And remember, by the way, Luke records details, okay? Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, so he was known for putting things in a 
detailed historical manner. Okay. Now let's move further. What does the Bible then say about the birth of Jesus? Remember, the focus of Christmas is not the date, but the event of incarnation. It is not the date, but the event of incarnation. So during Christmas time, what do you do? You're not focusing your attention on December 25th, but you're focusing your attention on the event that happened. This was a historical event that did happen, that Jesus came down to earth, and that is called as the incarnation. Now, this word incarnation, you know, comes from the Latin word incarno, which is derived from two words, in and carno, meaning quite literally to make into flesh, to make into flesh, okay? Now, that is the word meaning of incarnation, that Jesus took on human flesh. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. It is not the lights, it is not the tree, it is not the gifts, but we are celebrating the event of Christ taking on human flesh. Okay. Now, when you speak about Christ taking on human flesh, what does it mean? Jesus did not come into existence when he was born to Mary and Joseph. He already existed before creation, but when he came into this earth, then he has taken on himself human flesh. Okay. So that is what we celebrate. Now a question may I arise. Why is this so important that we are celebrating that Jesus took on human flesh? The incarnation is central to the Christian faith. Is central to the Christian faith. It was Charles Spurgeon who said that the birth of Jesus is the grandest light of history. The sun in the heavens of all time. It is the pole star of human destiny. The hinge of chronology. The meeting place of the waters of the past and the future. Okay, So, more than any other ways that we can celebrate Christmas this year is to celebrate Christ's incarnation that he took on human flesh, that we are grateful to him, we are thankful to him that he did this for us. Churches which uh, now observe or read the Apostles' Creed, if you notice the Apostles' Creed communicates the, uh, the truth of incarnation very clearly, where it says, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Three important phrases over there. God's only begotten Son. He was God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And there was this virgin birth. This is what we call as the incarnation. That Jesus, who was pre-existent, who was with God, who was God right from the very beginning, took on that human flesh, you know, incarnation and came into this world as a tangible physical body. We are grateful to God for that. Why are we grateful to God for that and why should we celebrate that? Let's look at some 10 truths about the incarnation that we should grasp. Number one, the first truth about the incarnation is that Jesus is the person or the active subject of the incarnation 
and is the eternal Son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, incarnation, and dwelt among us. So John 1.1 speaks about the Word being God. John 1.14 tells us that this incarnate Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? So the person that we are celebrating at Christmas, the incarnation, is about this Jesus, who is eternally God, but took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Secondly, Jesus is the full image and expression of the Father. Jesus is the full image and expression of the Father and is thus fully God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus becomes the visible expression of the invisible God. So Jesus was willing to reveal himself to us, okay, so that we can know who God is, and that is why we celebrate Christmas. Now, it will be sad, isn't it? So instead of doing all this, we have other celebrations, we have the partings, or we have the decorations, and we forget about the whole person of Christmas. No, the person of Christmas is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is very God, but he was willing to come down to earth and put on human flesh. Thirdly, Jesus has always existed in relation to the Father and Spirit, which now is gloriously displayed in the incarnation. Remember, I mentioned to you about these three verses. John 1, 1 speaks about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And verse 18 tells us, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. That is what incarnation is. That's what the celebration of Christmas is all about. That Jesus has made known to us who God is so that we can not only know God, but also have an interaction and a relationship and a with him. Fourthly, the incarnation is not an addition, is an act of addition, not subtraction. The incarnation is an act of addition, not subtraction. What do you mean by that? This means primarily that Jesus has always been God. Okay. Now, when he came down to earth, that part was not subtracted, okay, but it was only an addition of the human nature. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, in an incarnation, which is basically God becoming flesh, incarno, as you mentioned, putting on human flesh, this is an act of addition. Okay? His divine nature has not changed. He has not set aside his sinner divinity. It doesn't mean that when he came down to earth, he ceased to be God. No, he was still God. 
but he took on the additional human nature so that he can understand man, so that he can feel with man, so that he can know you and me in that intimacy and have a relationship together. That is what incarnation is. He took on this act of addition so that he could become a part of us. So he has added to himself a second nature, the human nature. How do we know he had a human nature when he was here on earth? He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he slept. All these are human parts, isn't it? The fact that he also prayed, that's a human nature because the spirit of man and the spirit of God, we commune together in prayer. Jesus did all this. But also we notice, number five, that Jesus in the incarnation is fully human and completely sinless. Even though he was fully human like you and me, but still he did not sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, this is something we need to be grateful to God for. And for the fact that he was sinless, he could make the payment for sin. If there was sin in his life, then somebody else had to pay for that sin. And as a result, we would not have the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. Jesus, when he was here on earth, was fully human, yet he did not sin, completely sinless. In fact, John 8, 46 says, he could boldly tell in front of the people, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Nobody could find any fault in him. Nobody could find any sin in him. He lived that sinless life so that he could become the perfect sacrifice because sacrifice for sin had to be paid. Wages of sin is death. <laughs> Somebody else had to pay the price. We cannot pay the price because we are sinful. Jesus then <laughs> took on human flesh which is what incarnation is all about, so that he can become the perfect sacrifice for you and me. Isn't that something to celebrate? Instead of spending time, you know, doing all the other things that goes on with Christmas, spend time even this Christmas thanking God that he became fully human and was completely sinless so that he could pay the price for your sin so that God could accept you and me. That is the celebration that we need to do. Number six, <clears throat> the virgin conception was the glorious means by which the incarnation took place. The virgin conception. Remember, we are speaking about the virgin conception. We are not speaking about the virgin birth because at times a person may say, look, Mary had a part you know, in the uh, conception, so Mary can be called as the mother of God because she had a part. No, no. It was not Mary's ova, it was not Joseph's sperm. God made sure that which is conceived in her, the angel said, is of the Spirit of God. So in that sense of the term, the fertilization happened outside the womb, and that is why we call it as the virgin conception. There was no human conception over there. And this is the beauty of incarnation. Because Christ's entry into this world was unique. He was just not a normal man because he was not a normal man. He was God himself. And if he is God and if he's taken on this human flesh, then his entry into this world has to be supernatural. And the supernatural part is the virgin 
conception. Number seven, Jesus limited his divine nature to the limitations of his human nature. Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. So he grew in all areas that a normal person would grow up in. It's like taking the first steps, learning the first language, you know, taking the first words. All this he learned, you know, and that's all part of human nature, okay? So Jesus, you know, did not say, okay, I'm God, so I know everything, you know. He limited himself, you know, when he took on this human nature. But even though that is true, number eight, though Jesus was limited in his human nature, yet his divine nature was not diminished, okay? Now, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. Who is this him? Jesus. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, the triune God, is the creator of the universe, and he is also the one who holds things together. In other words, when Jesus came down to earth, heaven was not empty. When Jesus came down to earth, Jesus did not stop doing his godly function. In fact, when Jesus was here on earth, he also used his divine nature to forgive sins, isn't it? Only God can forgive sin. He used his divine nature to raise up people from the dead. Only God can do that. So, even though Jesus limited in himself in his human nature, his divine nature was not diminished in any way. He only restricted its usage. He could have called thousands of angels to knock off all those people who were troubling him, and, you know, but he didn't do that. That was his limitation. <laughs> Number nine. Jesus became the first man of the new creation and our great mediator. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives. He died as a man. He rose again as a man. Remember when he met up with Thomas and the disciples, he said, you know, Look at my hands, you know, see the wounds, you know. So the same body that Jesus had, and Jesus, the angels, when you know, Jesus was ascending into heaven, they said, the same Jesus whom you have seen him go will come back again. In fact, Jesus then today has the glorified, resurrected body of a human being. That's the addition that Jesus has for us. So he has become the first man of the new creation the body that we would also have when we rise again from the dead. And he has become our perfect mediator. Who is a mediator? One who stands between two, isn't it? And Jesus being both God as well as man, 100%, is able to be the perfect mediator on our behalf to God, intercession and mediation. All this happened, number 10, because Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, is utterly unique and is alone our Lord and Savior. Jesus is a category all by himself. You know? And don't we have to celebrate this fact then? 
during Christmas time, let me encourage you, read through these reasons. Be strengthened in the joy of knowing that Jesus took on this human flesh, which is incarnation, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. Not just that tiny little baby, but look ahead of what Jesus was willing to do for us, pay for our sins, rise again for us. And even today, he continues to intercede for us. All that happened, why? Because of Christmas. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. Finally, number seven, uh, no, number eight, let's look at the purposes of the, of the incarnation. The purpose of the incarnation. Number one, to reveal God to man to reveal God to man. In the past, God revealed himself through his works, you know, as recorded in scripture in terms of the creation of the world and you know, the words that he spoke in scripture. But in the coming of Christ, God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 onwards. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. So, if you want to know who God is, you may say God is an abstract and a force, he's a spirit, I don't know him. God says, no, no, I sent Jesus to reveal himself to us. Okay, That's what God would say. He has sent Jesus to reveal God to us. So if you want to know how does God react, you know, how does God feel, you know, what is God's word, you know, we look at the life of Jesus. We read about what Jesus did when he was here on earth. That becomes a revelation of God to man. So if there was no Christmas, if there was no event of the incarnation, we would never know who God is. You know? But Christmas gives us that knowledge of who God is when we look at the person of Jesus. Secondly, to redeem fallen man, to redeem fallen man. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What does the word redeem mean? The word redeem means to buy back. A slave was sold into slavery, and in order to free him, a person would come along and say, look here, I pay the price for this person, so release him, let him go. Now, that is what is happening in the Old Testament culture. Now, Jesus released us from sin. We were slaves to sin. Jesus came into this world to redeem us, to buy us back, because God has created us for himself. We became a slave to sin. So Jesus came into this world to redeem us, to buy us back. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this Christmas, ask yourself, you know, has God found you? Has God found you? And have you been found of him? Are you still searching for God? Now, Jesus has come to reveal God to us. Jesus has come so that we can be redeemed. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. He has paid the price for our sins. 
All that we need to do is to accept this gift. This is the greatest gift of Christmas, that we accept this offer and say, Lord, I want to be your child. Thirdly, to fulfill God's initial purpose for man. To fulfill God's initial purpose for man. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created man in the image of God. One, Genesis 1.26 tells us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sea of the sky, over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This was God's initial purpose for man, that God would rule, that man would rule over the earth. Now, man sinned, and as a result, he lost that. Now, Jesus, by his death on the cross, has regained that for us. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 30 to 33, this is what we read. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This has become possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And finally, number four, what is Jesus doing for us today? At present, Jesus, the incarnate one, the one who took on this additional flesh you know, for us is our perfect mediator and our intercessor. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between man and God, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. One mediator, one God between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This Christmas, ask yourself, if God had to ask you, on what basis should I take you into heaven? What would your response be? If your response is, God, you sent Jesus into the world on my behalf. You sent him to die. He became the perfect sacrifice so that I don't have to pay for my sins. I accepted that gift of salvation. Then Jesus, what he does is he mediates on our behalf. Even though our sins are before us, Jesus becomes a mediator and says, yes, so-and-so, my son, my daughter, has responded to this gift. Now he or she belongs to me. And he speaks to, on our behalf to God the Father so that we are accepted into his presence. That's what Jesus is doing for us. And he is also interceding for us. The Bible tells us that he is the pleading on our behalf. He's praying on our behalf. How has that become possible? Because of Christmas. Because he took on that human flesh. Now he feels with us. So when we are going through pain, when you're going through suffering, we don't know what to do. You know, we pray to God. He understands us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. When somebody you know, writes you a note, you know, when you are doing bad or feeling down you know, or feeling sick, you know, that's an encouragement to you. Think for a moment. Jesus today is praying on your behalf. You, know, you don't have, you need to have any other intercessors. You don't have to have any other saints over there. 
Jesus himself is our perfect intercessor. All this has become possible because Jesus came down into this world, lived and died on our behalf. Isn't that a great gift then? Let's celebrate this gift of Christmas this year. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.